Praise God, praise God. Genesis chapter 1, and I'm just going to read the first couple of verses, amen. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. This morning, with the help of the Holy Ghost, for just a few minutes, I want to preach what God can do with nothing. Father, let the living word preach the written word and make my tongue the pen of a ready writer so that you might write your word on our hearts and in our minds that we might apply it and obey it daily. Scripture is fulfilled and you are confirming your word with signs following. And if you believe it, would you say, in the name of Jesus? Come on again, in the name of Jesus. Uh, declare that over you right now. In the name of Jesus. Uh, amen, amen. Clap your hands and bless the Lord. You may be seated in Jesus' name. I just want to step out prophetically for a moment and prophesy to some empty blue chairs that you're about to be filled. Hallelujah. I want to just step further out and prophesy that, that, Brother Michael, you're going to have to get the ushers and bring in a few white chairs to fill in. Amen. Does anybody believe God can do the miraculous? Does anybody believe God can bring your neighbor, co-worker, classmate, friend? Come on. I believe it in Jesus' name. And I also believe that one encounter with Jesus is enough to transform your life forever. I believe that one encounter with Jesus turns mistakes into miracles, pain into purpose, and turmoil into testimony. If we could today in our imagination go to the other side of Genesis 1 and verse 1, to the nothingness, the emptiness, the, the formless, dark void that was there. And we could see the silhouette of God as he looks upon this vast, empty, formless void, this dark void, and see him take his hands, as it were, reach towards his abdomen, and from within himself say, let there be light, just as excitedly we would begin to see as light permeates from within him throughout as far as the eye could see. And I believe it traveled faster than the speed of light. So if there was a big bang, it was that. God said and something happened. But in just a few words and six days, God was about to create a whole lot of something out of a whole lot of nothing. If I could say it this way, a whole lot of empty, formless darkness was about to have an encounter with God. <laughs> you see, from nothing, God created something. 
From darkness, God created light. From formlessness, God created order. In fact, watch how the book of Romans declares it. Romans 4, 17, and I'm, I like how the New Living reads. This is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in God. Watch this. God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. If you look at the depth of what that means in the Greek, he literally reached into the future of nothingness and declared something, and it was so. Ah, you remember a few months back, I preached to you how God uh, calls us and speaks to us from our future. Amen. Because he's a creator. Satan is only an imitator and the best he can do is speak to you from your past because he can't create. He can't see into your tomorrow, but God is already there. God is already in your tomorrow. God is already declaring what it's to be and he's speaking it before it happens. Oh, hallelujah. Carpenters can build beautiful buildings, but they have to use materials. Uh -huh. Painters, Brother Joey, can paint beautifully and, and, and not get paint everywhere and not leave streaks and bubbles, but they have to use materials. But God can take nothing and make something out of it. Mm. Doctors and scientists can keep a person alive on machines, but they have to rely on machines and they have to rely on things. But God can breathe life and raise the dead. Oh, hallelujah. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment the darkest moment you've ever been in physically. Maybe you were in a basement, maybe a tornado, maybe whatever. I want you to imagine the most darkest place you've ever been and as much as possible, I want you to think about the emptiness that was there, the formless void that, you were, that was there around you. And then with that, I want you to imagine God saying, let there be light. Ah, oh, hallelujah. You see, when God speaks, something happens. <laughs> Merle Ewing years ago wrote, and saying the following, I will not sing it as good as Merle Ewing, I promise you. I, I, I know some of you think I sing good, but I think Merle Ewing sings ten times better. But this is what he said. This is what he sung. On the balcony of space stepped a pure and holy God and in awesome solitude he stood alone not one faint star to give him light just endless rolling blackest night but somehow through all the darkness he could see he saw mountains high and lofty he saw valleys lush and green. He saw babbling brooks, wildflowers grow. Even heard 
a robin sing. But he felt a strange compassion as close to love as pain can be. Standing out there in his tomorrows, he saw me. He saw me in his likeness. He saw me just like him, pure, clean, and holy, spotless white within. But he saw me bound in heavy chains and longed to set me free. But he knew if I became like him, he must become like me. And Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Can we thank the Lord that He became like me so that I could become like Him? You see, 4,000 years after He said, let there be light, He manifested Himself in flesh and became the light of the world. And 30 years after that birth from a virgin's womb, He would bring healing from flogging. From sin and shame, He would bring salvation. And from His own death, He would bring and give life. And just as He spoke, let there be light 4,000 years earlier, He would speak on that cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And with those words, and the words, it is finished, the Creator would speak life-giving, creative words that in one day would take away all iniquity. His sacrifice was once and for all. Once for all mankind, for whosoever will can still be born again today. Once and for all sin, past, present, and future. There's not a sin that you can commit that God can't forgive and remit. And once for all time, you can't improve on Calvary. We can remodel this and remodel that and change this fad and change that fad. But the message of the cross is forever. Hallelujah. And from nothing, meaning the nothingness that we have to offer Him, He gave us something. 
we come to Christ empty. Darkness fills our lives and we're formless just like that vast expanse was before him. And just as it happened in type and shadow with Egypt, when they left Egypt, which is a type and shadow of sin, mm, hear me, I feel the Holy Ghost, when they left the world, when they left the things of this world, the Bible says in the book of Exodus 3.21, you will not leave empty. Can I tell you, when you walked out of this world, you left something there, but you didn't leave empty because you left filled with the Spirit of God. Mm. Hallelujah. And this is why we must remain in the fullness of God. You know, God can do a lot with nothing. I'm living proof. And I'm going to take you just on a real quick biblical journey here to show you how God used nothing to do or create something. In the emptiness of Sarah's womb, not just that she was barren, but the fact is she now had passed the time when she could no longer reproduce. I don't want to get into too great of detail, but you understand what I'm talking about. She had gone through that phase of life in which now she no longer was able. The scriptures talk about how that what was dead within him, God revived. That's literally saying that in Abraham and in Sarah, he had to turn back on what had been turned off biologically. So not only was she barren for whatever reason, God had to make it where she could reproduce again. And from an empty womb, God birthed a nation. Oh, oh, hear me in the Holy Ghost. From the emptiness of Rachel's womb comes the birth of Joseph, who will be a type of Christ and deliver his family out of a famine. And not only that, but Rachel prophesies at his birth and says, The Lord shall add to me another son. Let me tell you that when God uses something empty to make something powerful, there's a spirit of prophecy that comes upon the church that says if he did it once, he can do it twice. If he did it twice, he can do it thrice. Come on, does somebody believe that God can do your miracle for you? Hallelujah! You see, when God takes nothing and creates something, it awakens an expectant hunger to see more. He used the emptiness of Sarah, uh, Hannah's womb excuse me, to birth the prophet Samuel. He used empty pitchers in the hands of 300 men of faith along with their trumpets to cause the enemy, an innumerable army, to go into a frenzy and kill themselves. God used empty cupboards in the hands of a widow from Zarephath to create an abundant miracle in the middle of a famine. She never ran out. Can you imagine? How many of you have ever gone to the cupboards to open up something and you're like, oh man, I got to get flour. I got to get something. You got to run to the store or text your spouse and hey, can you pick this up, right? Can you imagine? You've used the last little bit for that last meal and the prophet prophesies over and you put it back in the cupboard and you get up the next morning for breakfast. You're like, hey, there's enough for breakfast. And you pour it in and you make breakfast and you put it away empty back in the cupboard. Now, my kids put empty boxes back in the cupboards often, but they don't reproduce like that. That'd be great if they do. 
our grocery bill would go way down. I'd love nothing more than to put the, you know, Cheerios and Cheetos and milk gallons and all that back in, like, reproduce thyself. Hallelujah. But can you imagine every day opening them cupboards and there's another miracle? Hallelujah. God used the empty bellies of four lepers to cause the enemy to run away in fear. God used the emptiness of death. Elisha had died and was buried to bring to life a soldier hastily thrown and buried into his tomb. But my favorite of all, by the way, all of them were in the Old Testament, my favorite of all is God used an empty tomb to secure salvation. It's very interesting to me that in John's gospel, it says the napkin that was upon his face, John saw it to the side and folded. Brother Nathaniel Urshan, a former general superintendent a few years ago of the United Pentecostal Church, said he had gone to Israel and asked the guide or somebody about it, and they said, oh, that's simple. It means he's coming back. And the Bible says John saw that, Pastor Lucas, and he believed. Oh, can I tell somebody? God used an empty tomb to secure our salvation. Woo! Hallelujah! And God can use your emptiness to create a miracle. You may feel empty here today or watching online, but I've come to tell you Jesus specializes in using your emptiness to do a miracle. In fact, I almost think that that's the prerequisite. Because if you can produce it, it's not a miracle. If you can work overtime and pay the bill, it's not a miracle. If you can take a pill and feel better, it's not a miracle. But if you go to the hospital and they say, yep, you've got XYZ, and the Lord heals you, and they say, well, we don't see any trace of it. You didn't take a pill. A doctor didn't plug anything into you. Jesus healed you. Oh, come on, somebody. If, you, if you've done all you can do financially and God says, here, I've got a bonus for you you didn't know about, that's nothing you did. That's something he did. That's a miracle. Come on now. Ah, hallelujah. And so he uses our emptiness to do a miracle. But, but watch, watch something Isaiah prophesied. Listen to this. Look, it's on the screen. Watch this. Isaiah 55, 10. For as the rain comes down, it's coming down today, Lord Jesus. And I don't like the next part and the, and the no from, I'm going to say the no from heaven. Amen. And the no from heaven, it, no is in the word. Snow, no, right. And the no from heaven. All right. Anyway, does not return there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Watch this. Just like the rain and the snow, watch what he says. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. Watch this, watch this. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. The word void just simply means empty. So let me reread that last part. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me empty. When God speaks a word, it's a full word. When God speaks a word, it's a whole word. Mm. Have you ever had just a piece of pie? Come on. I, I don't know. There's been times I want the whole thing. Yeah. Amen. But I know I can't eat it all. My stomach can't handle it. My, my digestive system can't handle it. But with God, he's not going to give you a piece of the word. He's going to give you the whole word. <laughs> and when he speaks it, it's going to accomplish what he sent it to do. 
Ah, you may think, well, well, what about the hindrances of the enemy? What about the things he throws up against it? I've come to tell you that the counsel of the Lord stands. And you, there's not a military that can stop it. There's not a government that can out-legislate it. There's not an educational system that can remove him far enough from their system. When God speaks a word, it will happen. It will not come back to him empty. Hallelujah. You may be empty, but when he speaks the word, you'll be full. And God has sent a word to the church of Omaha today to tell you that he makes beautiful things from things broken. In fact, this may not sound like it makes sense, but it will make sense. If it ain't broke, God ain't going to fix it. Oh, I know that ain't grammatically correct. I get that. But it's biblically true. But if it is broken and you give him all the pieces, you know what he can do with that? He can take all that brokenness and emptiness and say, watch what I'm about to do. And it's more beautiful. Ah. I mean, I think it was Pastor Danny back a few months ago preached. I think you had the picture of the the whatever the Japanese art there where they take the gold and silver and 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 they they fill in the cracks and they glue it back together and 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 the the item becomes more valuable and more beautiful because of that so in the brokenness it becomes more beautiful I read a quote the other day and I I don't remember it exact so so bear with me forgive me but the essence of it was saying that that people aren't impressed by our strengths but by the fact that we have weaknesses that, that God is helping us overcome and get through. Amen. And so I feel a word for this church today. You may feel empty. But God can do a whole lot with nothing. And be- before we have our testimonies come up here in just a minute, I wonder how many right now like to just reach up and align yourself with the Word of God. Here's what I mean. When they said amen in the book of Nehemiah, it wasn't just call and response in a Pentecostal setting. It was actually them saying, I'm in alignment with God, His Word, and the man of God. So if you believe what God has spoken today from this pulpit, I wonder if you would just raise your hand. Raise your hands and raise your voice and say, God, I'm, I believe the Word today. I'm not going to let it return empty. It's coming to my life. It's coming to my family. It's coming to my coworker. It's coming to my neighbor. It's coming to my friend. It's coming to my finances. Come on, speak the name of Jesus. Speak the word of the Lord over your life right now, over your situation, and watch what God can do with nothing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Brother Keith is coming as he's coming. Brother Ron, Pops, wave your hand back there. About a year ago, Pops was, uh, they thought there was, was it cancer? Cancer. In fact, they, they had a report saying there was. But we prayed and God healed. It's no longer, it's not that it's just in remission. It's no longer there. That's a miracle. Hallelujah. That's a miracle. Amen. In Jesus' name. There you go. Yes, sir.
Praise God. Yes, sir. Lord Jesus, bless everyone here with this testimony. Let it speak to at least someone and change their heart forever. If there is one statement that sums up my life, it is this. God has been very merciful toward me. The scripture reveals that the mercy of the Lord endures forever. I have had to call upon his mercy numerous times up to this point in my life, and I'm quite certain that I will need his mercy to cover me for the remainder of my life. I was born in Dallas, Texas, to parents who adhered to the doctrine of the Catholic Church. Both my mom and dad had attended the Catholic Mass as young children and believed it was their duty to raise their children in like fashion. Hence, our family faithfully attended the Catholic Mass every Sunday when I was a young boy. I was introduced to the Catholic interpretation of the born of the water portion of the born-again experience when I was only about a week old. During that baptismal ceremony, one of the priests poured some water on my forehead and proclaimed, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy, Holy Ghost. Now, the scripture reveals that whatsoever we do in word or deed, we are to do in the name of Jesus. But the saving name of Jesus Christ was never invoked for me during that ceremony. Moreover, the decision to be water baptized had not been made by me, but rather for me. No one can decide for me whether or not I should be baptized. Only I can make that decision. The other part of the born-again experience, being born of the Spirit, was experienced by me in my life as a Catholic when I was in fifth grade while attending a Catholic school. I was assembled with all my classmates, and the bishop of the diocese was in attendance to conduct the ceremony. When the time came for me to receive the Spirit, the bishop applied oil to my forehead and declared that I received the Holy Spirit. He then moved on to the next classmate, and my experience of receiving the Holy Spirit was finished. But not once during this ceremony did I call out to God of my own desire and need. I was simply obeying the Catholic doctrine, but without any heartfelt communion with God. After finishing grade school, I attended a Catholic high school. The small amount of partying that I had done in grade school with only occasional drinking of small amounts of alcohol, increased dramatically in high school. More frequent partying, more alcohol drinking, drunkenness, pornography, and occasional smoking of marijuana were what occupied my mind. Although I was disciplined enough to study long and hard to make good grades, my mind was not in a good state. In fact, I was so deeply depressed that my mom encouraged me to visit a psychiatrist for counseling, but even this did not help me. The scripture reveals that the wages of sin is death. I was spiritually dead. I needed to be born again correctly in order to be able to partake of the blessings of the Spirit of God. Amen. Upon completion of high school, I entered the workforce and eventually found a job as a mailroom clerk for a company that managed country clubs. It was at this job that my life would be changed forever. A godly coworker named Ken was hired on after I'd been working there for a year he had a sober spirit and was very respectful. When we would converse, I would ask him questions about scripture. I remember that when he would answer my questions, he would do so in a sober spirit with a true reverence of God's word. This respect he had for God caused me to really listen when he spoke. One time after we had spoken, I'd become afraid of the uncertainty of where my soul would spend its eternity. I did not want to spend it in a lake of fire and brimstone. I was strongly considering his admonition to me to be water baptized in Jesus' name. 
I then decided to act upon his advice. On a Friday evening back in 1987, I called Ken's pastor and asked him if he would be willing to meet me, meet with me the next morning so that I could be water baptized in Jesus' name. Pastor Billy Sales was happy to oblige. So I drove out on a Saturday morning to Louisville, Texas, about 25 miles from Dallas, and was water baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of my sins. As I broke the water's surface, after being fully immersed in the water in the baptismal tank, I threw my hands in the air and began to very loudly speak in a language that I had never spoken in before. What an awesome experience. I had never felt like this before. The depression I had lived with for so many years was suddenly gone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Great joy filled my heart. Pastor Sales and I rejoiced all that day together. Now, for the first time in my life, I could assert that I had truly been born again, just like the apostles of Jesus had been. The Spirit of God was now residing within me, and he still resides within me. He said he will never leave me nor forsake me. He is truly faithful and is committed to his word. Regrettably, though, I have at times resisted God's counsel after he had shown himself to be so mighty in my life. My sinful and rebellious nature manifested itself at times, causing me to commit unholy, wicked acts. As I said at the beginning of my testimony, God is merciful, and he has shown his mercy towards me countless times. He always returns me to his presence through his mercy, and for that I am ever thankful. To conclude this testimony, I want to share with you just a few more examples of God's mercy and goodness shown toward me. First one here, God physically returned my car and me within it after I had been knocked unconscious by a man who held me up at gunpoint. I was about 20 miles away from my dad's house when this took place. I was living at my dad's at that time. He took my wallet from me and then smashed my jaw a couple of times. I was immediately knocked out. The very next thing I remember, I am suddenly parking my car in the front of my dad's house. My only conclusion is either God translated me or I drove all the way home unconscious, mind you, by the assistance of an angel. Whatever way, my jawbone had not been broken, and I was still alive. Also, God answered my prayer by returning to me my driver's license and social security card, along with the other personal pieces of paper that I had within my wallet. Thank you, Jesus. The second one I have here is helping me to relocate a set of car keys I had inadvertently dropped in the parking lot at my apartment complex. Pastor remembers this. I asked Pastor Powell to join me in prayer regarding this, and several nights later, as I was pulling up in a, in a spot that I had typically parked in, I saw the shine of metal on the top of a snow mound. Those were my keys. The little things, too. A third thing. He recently, back in November, healed me of the COVID disease. I never... I never struggled with it in a deep fashion. Pastor Powell and Brother Connor met with me at the church property, and they both conferred healing virtue unto me upon the laying on of hands and praying in Jesus' name. That's scriptural. The word of God works. I am so grateful to the Lord Jesus 
for the goodness he has shown me up to this point in my life and will be grateful to him for any future goodness he shows toward me. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Isn't God good? I said, isn't God good? Amen. If you're online, I know God's blessing you with these as well. Feel free to comment. We've got some more coming. Sister uh, Rebecca Wilson's coming in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. First, I want to say that uh, I had to write mine out because I am not a public speaker, which I say every time I get brought up here. Um, first, I want to say thank you to everyone who has given your testimony. Some of, it's, some of you, it's very easy. Some of you, it's very difficult, like it is for me. But I want you to know that every single one of them have touched me. And if they've touched me, they've touched other people in this room, and they've touched the people that are watching through the webcast. Never stop sharing your testimony, because that is how we're going to overcome everything that we have to overcome. Okay. I was born into a generational apostolic family. My parents were not in church whenever they met or when I was born, but they were back in church soon after I was born. I was baptized. I received the Holy Ghost as a child. Um, soon after I received the Holy Ghost, they separated. I was around six. Um, I'll never forget the feeling of coming home and my dad not being there. He was my best friend, and when he left, it felt like someone took my breath away. My mom took me to a counselor to make sure that I was handling the separation okay. And during those counseling sessions, it came out that I was being abused by a family member. S someone who was also a minister's child. Um, in response, my mom moved us to a new home, a new area, a new school, and a new church. That's when I was introduced to POA, thank God. Um, this is not reality, but my reality was that I learned from that experience that I couldn't trust anyone. I couldn't trust ministers. I couldn't trust my parents. Time went on. We didn't attend church much. Um, we weren't involved. Around 16, I started dating and uh, continued on into bad relationships until my mid-20s. At 21, I started drinking. At 22, I started smoking marijuana. At 23, I started using prescription pain medicine, and I was immediately addicted. By 2007, I was completely lost. I did not have a good relationship with my parents. I used and drank on a daily basis. I always had this nagging feeling in me, though, that I didn't belong. I tried to silence it with drugs and alcohol or other sins, but it wouldn't go away. Um, I always... I would say, here's my boundary line, and I would feel this nagging, and I would say, if I push that boundary line, then this feeling will go away. God will leave me alone and let me just live this life in peace. So I would do that other thing that I promised I would never do, and he never left me alone. Hallelujah. In, 2000, in fall 2007, a friend of mine told me that she was very sick, and she felt like she may die. Even in my sin, I knew God could heal her. I went to the prayer room at POA and prayed for her healing. I felt nothing when I was there. And I said, God, what happened to this church? I used to feel you so strong here. And I very strongly felt the response, it's not me and it's not this church. You're the one who left. In that moment, I asked God to do whatever he had to do to get me back where I needed to be. I don't recommend that prayer to anyone unless you really mean it. 
One week later, I had a car accident. Um, I was driving a Corolla going about 70 miles an hour. I hit a, a truck that had a trailer attached to it um, that was completely stopped. I was not wearing a seatbelt. Um, they took me to the emergency room at the hospital that my mom worked at, and my mom came and visited me there at the hospital. And there was miraculous healing in our relationship in that very moment. Um, but that's just the beginning. God began to heal all of my brokenness. In February 2008, during a church Daniel fast, I heard about the Wilson son that was struggling with addiction during a prodigal prayer meeting. Something in me cared about him, and I felt like I needed to pray for him fervently. Months later, I saw him across the church and felt very strongly God tell me that he was my husband. We dated for a year before we got married. After we were married, I realized he was still struggling with addiction. The relapses were not often and they were not long, but it still scared me. There were times I prayed about leaving and I always felt God say, you promised me in sickness and health. I stayed. In 2012, the re he relapsed for the last time, thank God. In early 2013, we found out that we were pregnant with twins. Dan was on cloud nine. I was terrified. In September 2013, I delivered them at 19 weeks old. The months following were very dark for me, but God stayed with me during that valley. And one year and two days after my darkest day, I delivered Isabella. We now... In 2018, God moved us to Nebraska with the promise of starting a church. We now have two wonderful children. Our life is great. I can't begin to express how blessed we are every day. Life is not perfect. We still have struggles, and we always have to deal with life. I have learned, though, that there is a father that never leaves, and that there is a father that we can always trust, and there is a body and a family that we can trust no matter what the situation is. And I can trust that God works all things out for his good. Y'all need to tell her she's a better speaker than what she realizes. Well, uh, like Rebecca, uh, I too was born into an apostolic home. My grandfather was a, a minister. Uh, he was my pastor for the first 11 years of my life and grew up. Church was all I knew, you know, and uh, I received the Holy Ghost uh, when I was six years old. Some of you may remember there was this group called David and the Giants. And so I actually got the Holy Ghost at a David and Giants concert at our church. Uh, and I was baptized. Uh, I remember it was so weird because, like, it was almost like an out-of-body experience. There were a lot of people praying around me. And so after I got through praying, this girl asked me, did you get the Holy Ghost? And I go, I don't know. Because I didn't hear myself speak in tongues. So I went and asked my dad. I was like, Daddy, did I get the Holy Ghost? Yeah, son, you got the Holy Ghost. You spoke in tongues for like 15 minutes, you know. Well, a couple days later, my grandfather was out of town at the time. Uh, and so when he got back in town, I was baptized. Uh, 
And I'll never forget this because this was so important because if I'd have just had that first experience, the enemy could have really used that. But when I came up out of that water at, at six years old, you know, and, and back in then, being six back then is a lot different than being six right now. You know, I didn't know anything about alcohol and drugs and all this stuff that is kind of put in our kids' faces these days. But I can remember going down in that water when I came up, man. My, my sister described it the best. She said, it's like taking a bath on the inside. And my hands just shot up, and I began to speak in tongues. And, man, it was, I was just so, and I would need that. God knew I would need that because uh, uh, when, when we were about 11 years old, we moved. My grand, we moved a lot from second grade through sixth grade. We moved three times. Uh, eventually, we moved back to where we where I grew up, uh, the town of Gina, and uh, my grandpa was still in another place, so we, he wasn't our pastor anymore, and at about seventh grade, I quit going to church, I started playing football, uh, started drifting away from God, uh, I loved football uh, ever since I was a kid, and I kind of just put, threw myself into that. My sophomore year, uh, I got a concussion. I don't even remember, remember what happened. I just remember seeing lights. And when I came to, I was on the bench with oxygen. I didn't really know where I was. I thought, like, we were playing the team that we played, like, two weeks before. And I don't know if this is a coincidence or it has something. Uh, but shortly after that, I began drinking, uh, uh, you know, just a little bit here at first. But... You know, I didn't realize it at the time, but it did, alcoholism ran in my dad's family. Uh, his his dad and older brothers were alcoholics, and so that would begin a trajectory of my life that wasn't good. And um, the night of my 18th birthday party, I got so drunk I nearly killed in a blackout, uh, nearly killed a friend of mine, and that kind of scared me for a little bit. And I tried to get my act together, started going back to church. Uh, I went to college, Louisiana Tech, for a few years, and while I was there, I started back in the same pattern of drinking and got really depressed uh, in the spring of 94. Uh, basically, you know, after uh, Louisiana Tech was on a uh, quarter system, and so after the winter quarter, they suggested that I not come back, uh, that I take a break, because <laughs> I wasn't really going to class. Uh, and but at about that same time, my parents moved to Alexandria, and uh, so uh, they were, they had been going to church there, and they moved from Gina to Alexandria. And so I went, uh, and uh, God, man, the power of God. I don't know what it was like for everybody else, but I, I can just remember at the altar call, standing, and God was convicting me so much, I was just grabbing a hold of the seat in front of me. And then the next thing I knew, I'm down at the altar, and God was refilling me. And uh, that, uh, that uh, fall, I, um, I went to Gateway. And uh, Bishop's mom was the cook. And that's when I started gaining weight. No, no, I'm just, no, not really. No, I struggled with weight most of my life. But I did put on the freshman 20 there. Uh, but anyway, I went to Gateway for two years, but I was still, I was still having issues, uh, trying my best. And long story short, uh, for the sake of time, in 2001, uh, 
began started using drugs. I had used drugs here and there in my younger days, marijuana mainly, but then I, I started getting into heavy drugs. And for about ten years, I was I was addicted to cocaine to the, so bad to the point I became an IV user. Uh, I got busted. Uh, ended up going to prison twice because I enjoyed it so much the first time. I thought, man, I'll go back and try that again. Uh, but uh, and it was in 2008. I was getting out of jail. For, it was when when she said that about uh, being in the prayer room for that fast. I had just gone to jail for the third time in two years, less than two years. And uh, shortly after I got out, no, let me backtrack. While I was in jail that time in 2008 is when God began to move on Sister Minky Mangan to start a christ Center recovery program in Alexandria. And I can remember my mom coming telling me about it. And so I was like, okay. But at that, at that point, man, I was just, I was pretty, uh, pretty low. I, was, I felt like I was hopeless. I'd resigned to the fact that I was just going to be this way for the rest of my life. And I was just going to have to try to just deal with it as best I could and try not to go back to jail, although I'd proven time and time again that I couldn't do that. So anyway... We get out of jail in June of 2008. Shortly after that, I meet Rebecca, and uh, all of a sudden, I have, you know, God uses people, and he sends people into your life at just the right time. And if we had time to tell the stories of how our paths, like, almost crossed all those times, but they didn't, but at just the right time. And so uh, we got married in 2009, and... Uh, those first three years, I know for her, they're pretty rough. But for me, like, they weren't that bad because I was doing a lot better, even though I would, I would get six months, you know, and then I had a year one time. And, like, it was very, for me, that was progress, you know. Uh, but finally, uh, in November 7th of 2012, it was election day. That was the last time I, uh, I used. And so, uh, and then in September, it was September 13th, 2013, had about 10 months clean, and like she said, man, I was the happiest I had been since I was a kid. And you got a phone call, and within a few hours, you know, just boom, heartbroken. And uh, I can remember being in that, in that delivery room after she delivered those babies, and the doctor, they're preparing to take her up to get a, uh, for a DNC, and he told the nurse to give her some medicine for pain, and and so the nurse comes and puts this IV, and me being the good drug addict that I was, I was like, what are they giving her? Oh, Demerol and Promethazine. I sure wish I had some of that right now. And then instantly I heard something say, no, you need to experience this because this is going to make a difference in your life. And uh, there were a lot of people that didn't think I was going to make it. And to be honest with you, I didn't think I was going to make it either. But somehow... Some way, God brought us through, and he, I'm not going to give away my message for next week, but, uh, but uh, he saw us through, and then, you know, Isabella, and uh, 2018, you know, and now we're here, you know, God just somehow, I don't know how we ended up here except God, and, you know, I, I wish I could say that we went on and lived happily ever after, but that only happens in fairy tales, you know, um, there's still trials, and there's still life that you got to deal with, and especially when you've had 
head injuries and use drugs for that length of time, there's, there's consequences and there's things you have to deal with, but God is good and he's faithful. And you know, it's so funny what you preach from today because this week the, I've been singing and listening to that song, He's Still Moving, He's Still Proving. And, and I, I was drawn to Genesis 1-2, it says, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God is still moving. He's still bringing order out of chaos. And He's still saving. And He's still delivering. And it doesn't matter how far you've gone, how deep into the depths of sin you are, His blood can reach down and pick you up and make you a new creature in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, if you believe it, clap your hands to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise team, go ahead and come up. We're going we're gonna to sing here. I, I want to just emphasize today from the three testaments. And I didn't plan this, by the way. So I just want you to know a lot of these things are happening as God's doing it. But all three of these testimonies, they, they had an experience with God backslid from it and came back to it came back to God so whether you were born in the church and left whether you were born later in life it doesn't matter a few weeks ago I preached from this pulpit I looked at that camera over and again I looked at this audience and, and, and time and again said to the prodigals come home and so if you're listening today and you're struggling this church loves you you're looking at a whole lot of people that have been through a whole lot of stuff. Hallelujah. You know, the Bible says, we know that God created everything. We, we understand that, we recognize that. He created the stones that we walk upon. And when Jesus walked on this earth, he said, if these should hold their peace, talk about the people that were worshiping him. He said, the stones would immediately cry out. I don't know about you, but that's for me and my house. <laughs> I ain't going to let the stones cry out. I've been through too much. He's been too good to me. Brother Keith, he's been too merciful to me for me to let a stone take my place. Hallelujah. Can we stand to our feet? And as the praise team begins to sing, can we let this be our anthem today? If you want to come around this front and pray, if you want to kneel in your home or wherever you're at, come on, let's just take this and let it be the anthem of who we are today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.